0: Well, welcome everybody. We are glad that you are here worshiping with us at Wilshire, visitors, members alike, and uh, it's good to be together to study God's word, to sing praises to him, to pray, and to do that, as Jeremy pointed out in our uh, Lord's Supper thoughts, to do that as a community. God does not save us individually. He saves us as a church, as Christ's body and we gain strength from that fact. We're studying the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at various passages in that Gospel as it kind of unfolds to us God's plan in Jesus Christ. And today we're looking at this passage where Jesus comes back to his own hometown. I don't know if you can imagine what that would be like. Jesus grows up in this town. We assume that uh, he is well known as the son of Mary and Joseph. Joseph owning a business there for some time. Carpenter shop. Jesus maybe known as, as one who helps out in that shop with his brothers. And he goes away, and the people of Nazareth start hearing these amazing stories about Jesus. This this Jesus that, that we grew up with, that we went to Sabbath school with, that we learned our uh, Hebrew alphabet with, he's now doing these amazing miracles, and, and he's gathering great cloud, crowds around him, and, and now he comes back. And, and because he's back in our town, the rabbis in our synagogue, the leaders of our synagogue, hand him the scroll and ask him to read. And they give him Isaiah, And he goes all the way to the back of Isaiah, to Isaiah 61. And he reads this famous passage, this passage that's really where Isaiah is using, I think, the imagery of the Jubilee year. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, verse 18, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that was an awesome start. The next verse tells you everybody in the synagogue liked what they were hearing so far. This is Joseph's son, but look at what a wonderful job he's doing. This is great. You know, this is preacher boy makes good. You know, our own. And he's out there making a name for himself. And he picked such a great passage to preach a popular sermon. How do you think the Jews of the first century heard this passage from Isaiah? Jubilee language. Set the oppressed free. What oppressed do you think they were thinking about? Well, it's got to be talking about us being set free from the oppression of the Romans. Uh, proclaim good news to the poor. What poor do you think they were thinking about? Oh, it's got to be us. Who's poorer than us? Yeah. The year of Jubilee says the debts go free. I got a whole bunch of debts. That would be awesome. God's going to remit my debts. Yes. I want God's year of favor. I want God's Jubilee. Jesus is announcing the favor of God's Jubilee. That's quite right. But what he has in mind is different. God's jubilee has deeper things in mind than just the physical and the financial. It really was an interesting custom. We're not sure that anyone ever actually followed the jubilee laws. The Jews always, it seems, let selfishness and selfish considerations get in the way of God's commandment for jubilee. The Jubilee year comes around every 50 years. You count off seven years of seven, seven sevens. And then the next year is the Jubilee year, the 50th year. And and in that year, you let all the slaves go free. You let all the land that's been bought up by rich people go back to its original owners. and, And you let all the debts be remitted. You're supposed to do that every seven years, too, but especially you do that in the Jubilee year, and, and it's sort of like a financial and social reset. You get to you get to go back and start It's like we can kind of wipe the slate clean. It may be that your family has had a terrible run of bad luck. It may be so bad that you've had to sell your kids and yourself into slavery. You've had to sell off all your land. You've had to sell off all your property. Maybe it was bad luck. Maybe you were just bad. Maybe you were a drunkard. Maybe you were lazy. The year of Jubilee doesn't really take that into consideration. It just says, when this year comes around, we reset all that. Why would God do that? He puts the burden on the people who have to wipe the slate clean... To start things over, I think he's announcing his bigger plan. I think in the year of Jubilee, God is telling us what kind of God he is. And when Jesus comes and says, This is my gospel, the year of God's favor is coming. He's saying, This is the kind of God that we serve. God is here to help you reset. God is not blind to the mess your lives are in. God knows that some of the mess in your lives is due to what other people have done to you. God also knows that some of the mess in your life A lot of the mess in your life is due to what you have done to yourself. And the year of God's favor means that God, who is rich, is going to help you reset. God proclaims his jubilee through Jesus Christ. Well, that's a great moment. The people may be misunderstanding what Jesus is saying, but Jesus is saying the favor is on its way. Now, Jesus immediately, he realizes who he's dealing with. Mark tells us that the people of Nazareth didn't really have faith. They didn't really believe in him. They kind of were flattered that he was from Nazareth and they were excited about that but they didn't really have faith. And so Jesus says this, Surely you will quote the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what you, we heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continues, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus kind of turns and confronts them and says, Because I'm from here, you're going to have a hard time hearing the next thing that I say. You're happy that I'm making a name for myself out there? That pleases you? And as long as I tell you what you want to hear, you're going to be okay with that. But if I'm really going to be a prophet, someone who actually speaks from God, this may not go so well. And that's interesting to me. God's favor can come through the unlikeliest people. One of the ways ways that we like to get control in our religion and our religious practice is by sort of licensing who gets to talk to us about it. We feel comfortable when the people who talk to us about grace and who administer to us our ministry are properly credentialed. We like people who look like this. Well, maybe skinnier, but still look roughly like this. Maybe more like Jeremy, I I understand. We like people who are properly credentialed. And it's not that God doesn't understand our status games. It's just that he doesn't care. <laughs> he thinks that our status games often get in the way of the gospel. He thinks that oftentimes these status systems that we create start becoming, stop being a help to us and start becoming a barrier to us. And so what do you see again and again and again in the Bible story? Instead of picking Eli, God says, I'm going to talk through that little kid Samuel. Instead of using Saul, I'm going to use that shepherd guy, David. Instead of talking through the king, I'm going to talk through this weird guy with the hairy cloak, Elijah. God's favor comes through the unlikeliest people. Jesus has nothing to recommend him except that he's actually speaking for God. He's actually going to be a prophet of God. The next thing he says is what begins to set them on edge. I assure you, verse 25, I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine in the land. But Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Ouch. That's an uncomfortable bit of Bible history. It's in the Bible. The people of Nazareth can't gainsay it because it's right there in their sacred text. They know that's true. God brings a drought, and then instead of taking care of some pious Israelite lady, God sends Elijah to take care of a pagan lady in Zarephath. Zarephath, by the way, was Jezebel's own hometown. Just insult to injury. And he goes there and he says, make me some bread. And she says, this is like the last food I've got. If I make this for you, I was just going to fix this. It was going to be my son and the last meal, and then we were going to die. And the prophet says, yeah, well, make it for me instead. Just see what happens. And she does, and she's taken care of throughout the famine. We know that story. The people of Nazareth knew that story. Jesus tells that story not to illustrate faith, though. It's a good illustration of faith, but he's not telling it for that purpose. He's telling that to say, do you realize that when God's favor comes, it's not necessarily going to respect the boundaries you'd like it to respect. God may have a bigger love than you are willing for him to have. He's done it before and he may be doing it this time as well. God's favor crosses boundary, boundaries that we think shouldn't be crossed. God's favor crosses boundaries that we think shouldn't be crossed. God's favor will not stay always in our comfort zone. And I've found this to be troubling to myself. I've found it to be troubling to those around me. God is not calling us to stay just as we are. I know we've got a song that's got that theme to it, Just As I Am. And and it's right that just as you are, without one plea, you come to God. That is That is gospel truth. You do not have to polish yourself up to come to God today. But he's not calling you so you'll stay just as you are. He has a change in mind for you. And he has a plan so that you can change. His whole plan of reset is so that it'll be possible for you to get on track where you have been so badly off track. And if he's got that plan for you, that means he's got that plan for other people, even some people you don't like. His love is big. And he says to you, how about you get your love a little bigger too? And we can back off of that. I mean, that, that bugs us sometimes. You know, if I, if I love people who are doctrinally in error, doesn't that mean I'm kind of approving of their doctrinal error? If I love Muslims... Doesn't that mean I'm approving of a false religion? If I love Buddhists or I love people who are adulterers or liars or, or murderers, doesn't that mean I'm approving of all of that? I mean, really, can't, aren't I supposed to kind of keep my love in so that people will know what's good and what's bad? Love is the way that I show the world what's good and what's bad. Let me, exp- let me ask you a question Does God love you? Right now, does God love you? I only got one head nod. Does God? Do you believe God loves you, church? Amen. Thank you. Hello. Wake and see up. Uh, God loves you. Does he approve of everything about you? No, he does not. He loves you. And He is on the reset path with you. He is trying to pull you to be better. He loves you so that you will be better. He has a vision for what you can be. He has forgiven you so that you can be better. He shows you tokens of His love so that you will be motivated to come toward Him. He disciplines you too sometimes for that same purpose. God wants you to be better better than you are. He wants you to be like him. And the same thing is true with our love. Our love does not mean that we approve. Our love means that we are like God trying to help people move in the God direction. God's favor crosses boundaries that we may think shouldn't be crossed. God says, get bigger, grow in your love. That's part of what Jesus is telling the people of Nazareth. That's part of what makes the attitude of the people in Nazareth switch to a 180. He goes further, verse 27. There were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet. Not one of them was cleansed, cleansed only Naaman the Syrian. God's favor asks us to obey beyond what we expect. I love the story of Naaman the Syrian. You go back and read it. In 2 uh, Kings, it's just—it's so interesting to me. Naaman is this very proud Syrian general, general serving the enemies of Israel. There have been several conflicts, but now he comes because he has no—he has no hope. Leprosy is an incurable disease, and and he's told, "Well, there's this prophet. He does some amazing things. You might want to go check him out." And and he goes, and and Elisha won't even meet with him. He just kind of sends a messenger to him and says, "Well, here's what you can do." go go dip in the Jordan River. Do it seven times. You'll be cleansed. And it's sort of like, take it or leave it. And Naaman says, he wouldn't even meet with me. He didn't even respect my office. He didn't respect my status. And he wants me to go dip in that nasty, dirty Jordan River. I got great rivers back home. I didn't need to come on this trip. But he goes and does it. He has a servant that convinces him that he should at least give it a try. He goes and he does it, and he's cleansed. It's a great little story. It's a great little story. God's favor may ask us to do things we don't expect, may ask us to obey beyond what we expect. This is not our favor we're bestowing on ourselves. This is God's favor being bestowed on us. We shouldn't be able, we shouldn't expect (laughs) for this to completely fit our expectations. I'm an educator, and one of the great problems of education is that students who don't know are really bad judges of what they need to learn. It's really bad. I mean, it is a problem. Until they learn it, they won't realize it's valuable to know it. And so they have to trust us, which they really don't want to do in many occasions. And anybody who's a teacher, we got lots of teachers at Wilshire. Anybody who's a teacher knows that problem. And that's the way we all are with God. He knows where we need to go. He's going to say, let's do this. And oftentimes we don't really get why he's telling us to do these things. Until we've started obeying him, it won't even be clear to us why that was a good idea. You know I mean? You have to be in church for a while before you figure out why you desperately need church. You have to read your Bible for a while before you realize how desperately you need to know the stuff that's in your Bible. You just say, "I don't. I don't think I need that." That's not the kind of stuff I usually read. This guy doesn't have any superheroes in it at all. There's no capes, no capes at all. Uh, you you will not understand why you need to have a daily prayer life until you make that a part of your life. And and we can just go on and on and on. God's going to ask you to do things. I mean, getting baptized, which is how Christianity starts. Getting baptized. Really? Dunked under the water? That's going to do something? That's just crazy. From the outside point of view, it's crazy. You won't understand why that's such an important thing until you are kind of on the other side of it, I think. God's going to ask you to do those things... And you really won't understand them until you have done what he asked. And that's part of putting your trust in him. God's favor asks us to obey beyond what we expect. You see how the people react in verse 28 and following. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of the town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. In Hebrews, and actually in Ephesians, the word of God is likened to, it's compared to a weapon. Do you remember what weapon that is? The sword. Why is it like a sword? Because it, cuts. The word of God cuts. It slices. And Jesus has taken the word of God and he has cut the people of Nazareth, and they do not like it. He has dissected. He has opened up their hearts. He has exposed their prejudices. He has exposed the very things they don't want to hear. I want God to be on my side. I want God to be for the Jews. I really don't want God loving the Romans. That would be awful. I don't want God loving the Gentiles. That would be terrible. God for us, not God for them. That's a bad idea, and they are furious because the word of God has come and been laid against their hearts and they're going to kill Jesus if they can do it. He is asking them to change. God's favor always comes with a demand for change. A demand to change. God's favor always comes with a demand to change. If you're not ready to change, you can't receive what God is trying to give you. If you're not ready to change, you cannot receive what God is trying to give you. So the question for each one of us is, am I willing to open myself up to God's sword, to God's surgery, to God's scalpel? Every one of us have tumors that are eating us up from the inside. And God wants to get them out. God wants to not just deal with the surface. He wants to get into the inside of what you know is wrong. And if you'll let him, he will give you freedom. But there will be some surgery required. If anger keeps reasserting itself in your life, God can help you with that, but there will be some surgery required if secret lust keeps tripping you up and casting you down into the dirt, God can set you free from that. He can give you freedom, but there will be some surgery required. That's not a surface operation. That requires someone going deep. If envy is constantly stealing your joy, God can give you freedom, but that is not a surface operation. That requires God to go deep to give you freedom and the question is are you willing to open yourself up so that God through Jesus can do his work the year of God's favor God's offer to make a difference to reset to set us back where we need to be so that we can actually move forward We think we're all sitting in this church building. We think we're sitting on these nice padded pews. But we're not really. Every time this word of God is opened, every one of us are sitting in that synagogue in Nazareth. Every one of us are listening to Jesus. And the question is, are we going to hear? If you need to respond to God's favor, if you were ready to receive baptism and want to make that step today publicly, or if you want to ask for prayers, and you want to ask for those publicly, then you can come forward in just a moment, and we will do that for you publicly. If you want to deal with that privately, come see me, come see the elders, come see Jeremy or Josh, and we will, we will help you with what it is that you need so that your life can begin where God wants it to begin. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?